And so we as the church to love our neighbor have to do the really hard and impossible thing. We have to admit that we have wronged one another and do everything we can to make it right, to heal those broken relationships and restore what has been taken. So I want to end with this. Who in your life have you wronged? Maybe it's something small like messing up the toilet paper. And maybe it's something really big that's been driving a wedge for a really long time. Can you take a step towards making it right today? Towards seeking forgiveness and granting forgiveness? What happens immediately after this, Jesus tells a story of a servant who is unforgiving, a servant who refuses to forgive others. And in the story Jesus tells, he says it will be worse for that servant than any other. They will be unforgiven of all of their sins because of their unwillingness to forgive others. If we want to be the church and love our neighbor, we have to be the ones who make it a point a priority, not just sometimes or occasionally or on Sunday mornings, but every single day to seek forgiveness from those whom we have wronged and to seek to make it right from those who've wronged us. And when we live like this, our neighbors will be loved today, tomorrow, and every day. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Anybody in here love conflict? Anybody try to avoid it at all costs? I, I know for most of us our natural response is to try to avoid conflict, but I like in that video how it says so often we skip the steps of resolving conflict and go straight to managing it. How do we just deal with our differences as opposed to reconcile, as opposed to fixing what might be broken? And oftentimes I find that most long-term like disputes between people start over something really small. Most really big conflict, if it was handled correctly in the beginning, could have been no big deal. Like, for example, yesterday. My son was having a moment where the toilet paper is just a little further out of reach than he's comfortable with, and it caused a meltdown. You ever had that moment? Or you're like, where do I find toilet paper? Oh, no. And I have a sleeping baby on my chest. My legs are cramping from working at the Community Coalition. And, of course, his response to that little moment of an unmet need was met by my response that wasn't the most loving and kind. And it blew up into an argument and into a fight and into yelling that it never should have been over just a simple piece of toilet paper. You ever had those kind of moments? 
where things escalated way quicker than you think they ever should have. They became way more than you ever thought they could have been. And you're left at the end going, how did we get here? More importantly, how do we fix this next? As we continue in this series, The Art of Neighboring, today's probably going to be the hardest in the whole series because I think it's the one that we collectively are the worst at. Today we're looking at this reality that to love our neighbor as Jesus tells us to, we have to be the ones who are both willing and first in pursuing reconciliation. If we want to be the ones who love our neighbor, we have to see conflict and be the ones who move towards it to resolve it, as opposed to those who run from it because it's uncomfortable. So how do we do that? Well, we're going to look at a couple of places in scripture today where Jesus talks about conflict. And I want you to know that as I read these and I read them and I prepared for today, this isn't an easy thing to say. Because I'm not saying it as somebody who's got it all right and does it correctly every time. But I'm reading Jesus' words going, gosh, if I did that more often, surely my life would be a lot better. So will you join me in this? Also, real quick as an aside, for those of you who are new here or you have kids here and you have no idea where the nursery is that was mentioned, if you go out these doors, the nursery's kind of in the back of the courtyard space. And that's where you can go if you need something more for your kids. We have extra diapers and wipes and things because I have an eight-week-old and my wife is smart enough to say some people need that. So that's there if you need it. But we're going to look today first at Matthew chapter 5. These are Jesus' words that he speaks. It's kind of his first big public speaking moment. In all of his ministry, he's done several things according to the other gospels, but this is like the first time Jesus sits down and really starts to talk about what is life in his kingdom. What is life like when we live the way God intended us to live? How do we do this? And maybe you've heard this before, it's often called the Beatitudes, like the types of attitude that we as Christians should have. After giving this list of how we should live and the types of attitude, he describes six different things that they often messed up. Like the Old Testament law is really good, it was God's intention to help the people be a certain kind of people, and they often tried to twist it and change it to accommodate what they wanted it to be. And in one of these things that Jesus addresses, it's just that. The very law of God that he has given, they have wanted to twist and change to fit what made sense to them. This is what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Seems pretty straightforward, right? Don't kill somebody. If you kill somebody, it's going to be bad for you. Simple, done, right? But the problem with that is, if we look at God's law and say, thou shalt not murder, well, most of us have probably not killed a man or a woman, right? There's a good chance that out of this room, very few of us have. And if you have, you probably experienced some kinds of kind of punishment or consequence or prison as a result, most likely. So when we read God's law and it says, you shall not murder, our natural tendency, what they were doing is say, oh, that's good, I'm... I'm good to go in that regard. But Jesus here in this list, he amplifies everything to a whole new level. And this is what he says next. He says, but I say to you 
that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Could you imagine being in that crowd? Like Jesus is all kind and loving, blessed are the meek and blessed are the humble and blessed all these things and you should be the salt and the light. And let me tell you, if you're angry with your brother, you're as guilty as if you killed them. Uh-oh. Hold on, Jesus. What do you mean? Like if I'm angry with my son or my wife or with one of you, what do you mean that I am liable to judgment? Well, I don't think we have to look too far in this world to see exactly what he's saying. See, when we're angry with our brother, our anger most often causes us to say or do things that are unhealthy for that person. Maybe we say something behind their back in the form of gossip, and we tell somebody else about how terrible that person is. Maybe we know that gossip's wrong, so we don't ever gossip, but in our mind, every time we think of that person, all that wells up is the anger inside of us. And rather than seeing them as the people God loves, and rather than caring about them the way we're called, all that we feel when we think of this person and we're reminded of what they've done is anger. And that anger kills inside of us any desire to love our neighbor. That anger kills inside of us any desire to put them first. So while we may not have murdered anybody, we certainly can kill them with our words as we destroy their reputation. And with our thoughts as we tear them down in our head before we ever once even come into their presence again. And then when we do, we only see things through this lens of anger and hatred and hurt and brokenness. Jesus says, if that's what's driving you, you will be liable to judgment. See, as much as we want to say anger isn't always that bad of a thing, as much as we want to say anger's not really that big of a problem, if we dwell in anger against the thing our brother or sister has done against us, or even more, against the thing we perceive against us, we begin to treat them as no longer our brother and sister. This isn't good. Jesus, he continues, says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. The altar for the people of God, the Jewish people was the very place where you would go when you wanted to be made right with God. When you had sinned and done something wrong, when you were in need of God's grace or his favor or his mercy, when you were in need of anything from God, you would come to this altar with a sacrifice and you would lay the sacrifice down and it would be given up and there at the altar you would experience God's presence and his promised love and forgiveness and there you would hear the words from the priest that you are forgiven and there in that place you would know no matter what has gone wrong in your life, it'll be okay. No matter what you've done that has hurt others, it'll be okay. No matter how messy your life still is, God has not forgotten you. And Jesus, he says, if you're going there to that place, 
and you realize your brother still has something against you, leave your gift and go. I think of the weight of these words Jesus is saying. If you're coming to God wanting to be forgiven, if you're desperately in need of his grace and his favor and his love, if you're eagerly seeking to do what's right by God's eyes, and you realize your brother has something against you, stop and first go and be reconciled. Reconciled is to be made right, to be put back together. Go and be made right with your brother, and then you can be made right with God. And yet for many of us, I think we want God to make it right for us while we just ignore our brother. And what I I really find challenging about what Jesus says here is if your brother has something against you, not if you have something against your brother, if there's somebody else that you have wronged and you have sinned and they are holding it against you, before you come to God to receive his forgiveness, Go to them and make it right. He gives another example. He says this, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Look, we know in practical terms, if you can settle things out of court, it's going to go better, right? But if you have to go to court, there's going to be a mandate, you must do this or else. And if you don't do what is mandated by the court, you will end up in jail. Jesus says, look, if your brother has something against you, settle it quickly. The reason I find this so challenging is because it's really, really easy for me to dismiss when my brother has something against me. If I say something that offends you or I do something that you don't like or I act in a way that's not so loving, I can just chalk it up to that was a mistake, get over it. That's just your perspective, your prerogative. That's just the way you think. It's not my fault that you think what you think. And there's truth to that. I don't control your emotions. I cannot control your emotions. I cannot control you. But there's also a lie that's hidden in that. If I think my actions don't affect you and I can do as I please regardless of the consequences, and if you don't like me, I don't care, if I live like this, it's easy to justify myself and dismiss the times when I have wronged you. Most conflict can be handled well if one person starts by saying, I have wronged you. Most conflict can be resolved if one person takes that first step to say, I am sorry. Will you forgive me? So yesterday, in the span of about 15 minutes, we experienced all the emotions. Everything from me screaming at my son like I haven't screamed in a while, me saying things I shouldn't have said, my son being mad at me, all the things. And I could have just left it and moved on. But I've been reading this all week and I couldn't not do the very thing Jesus is saying to do. And so after my cramp in my leg went away and my son had fallen back asleep, I pulled Elijah aside and said, I'm sorry. My screaming, my yelling, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Now I could have in the moment taken the time to be like, Elijah, this is what you did wrong. 
but that's not helpful. See, when we want to reconcile with another, we have to be willing to be the one who apologizes for what we have done without demanding an apology for what they have done. And this is really hard because we believe, and we're rightly so, that we are entitled to an apology, that they owe us forgiveness, or at least the repentance to say, I also screwed up. And on some measure, it's true. There are times when we don't do anything wrong and other people wrong us and we don't need to apologize when we are not the one in the wrong. But in almost every situation that has real conflict, there's something we could have done differently. I come from Nebraska and if you've never visited the Midwest, there's this really weird thing called like Nebraska nice. Uh, apparently every Midwestern state has the same slogan. You have Iowa nice and Minnesota nice. They all just think they're really nice. And what it really often boils down to is they just apologize for everything, right? Like I bump into you in the grocery store, like, oh, sorry. And I just happen to be standing where you want to be. I'm like, oh, sorry. You didn't do anything wrong for standing there. It's okay to stand there unless you're intentionally standing there because I don't want to let you through. Then you're doing something perhaps wrong. And sometimes in this Nebraska nice culture, people would apologize for all sorts of things. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry to bother you, sir. It's literally my job for you to come talk to me. Like, you're not bothering me for me doing my job. And they, they apologize for all kinds of things that aren't actually something they've done. But then where it gets weird is when they have done something, like be a jerk to their neighbor or actually treat somebody like trash or whatever that sinful thing is, they just dismiss it. Oh, sorry about that. It's always followed or started with an oh, I don't know why. Uh, and so, sorry about that. And then just like move on. But they never acknowledge what they did wrong. They, they never acknowledge that they might have actually hurt somebody by their actions. And what unintentionally happens, as I think it happens in most cases, is this small little thing that wasn't a big problem quickly festers and gives root to all kinds of hatred and frustration and bitterness. Maybe you've seen this here on social media. Somebody says one thing and you immediately assume what they're saying means all of these other things. And your response then is to tell them how wrong they are. And then it blows up. And two people who love one another, who care about each other, are now attacking and accusing and saying that person's terrible in all of these ways. We don't even need social media to do that though. Look, we can just be hanging out together and I can say something or do something and not know that I have wronged you. And rather than say, I feel wronged, just leave it and begin to assume that's who I am or who I plan to be or more importantly, that's what you think I think of you. Have you ever been in that situation with someone? So Jesus, he says this really challenging thing. If somebody else holds something against you before you come to God, go to them and try to make it right. Now I say try to make it right because there's a truth that we cannot change another person. If I have sinned against you and I come to you and I say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And you say, well, screw you, I don't care. There's nothing I can do to change your attitude. Not in that moment, at least. Now, I can come back again later, and I can try again later and say, hey, I would like to repair this relationship. What do I need to do to rebuild trust? How can I help you to see that's not who I want to be? 
And they can again still say, I don't want that relationship. So to be reconciled, to be made right with our brother, doesn't mean that everything's going to be peachy and and hunky-dory. No, it means that we took that step to say, somewhere in here I have wronged you. Can we make it right? Can we restore what is broken and taken from us? There's a verse in Ephesians we'll put up on the screen. This verse in Ephesians says this. It it says, uh, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. You see, the truth of anger for you and me is it is a natural emotion. Any pastor who tells you to never get angry is a terrible pastor. You are a person and people get angry. But what do you do with that anger? How do you act in that anger? I love this. It says, do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger. You see, the way you avoid sinning when you're angry is by not dwelling on it, by not allowing it to persist for days and weeks and months and years on end. The way you avoid sinning when you're angry is by seeking reconciliation. It says, give no opportunity for the devil. When we allow a division, a hurt, a wound, something that's come against us to dwell overnight or to dwell for multiple nights or months, when we allow this to be something that separates us from others, we create an opportunity for the devil to come in and steal and destroy the very thing God is trying to do. So go and be reconciled. But, but then Jesus, in a couple chapters later, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus again challenges what it means to be reconciled in a time of conflict. How do we do this? In Matthew chapter 18, there's the question, who's the greatest? And he says, well, children, be like that. And then it, com- it continues a little bit later. In chapter 18, beginning in verse 15, Jesus says this, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. See, there's a time when you and I are the ones who are guilty. We have sinned against another and we need to be the one who seeks forgiveness. And there's other times when people have wronged us and sinned against us. I find this verse to be incredibly challenging on every level. At the first level, it sounds super simple, right? Go and tell him his fault. I love to tell people they're wrong. Anybody with me? It's super easy to be like, well, I'm right and you're wrong. I know it. But that's not what this verse is saying. Go and tell him his fault between you and him. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. See, if we want to seek reconciliation, it starts with us saying, where have we wronged someone else? But then it continues with, where have I been wronged? Our telling them their fault is not because we think we're right. It's not because we want to stick it to them. In fact, I guarantee if you are having some beef with somebody else and you go to them to tell them all the ways they're wrong with this attitude that just wants them to feel terrible and miserable, how is that conversation going to end? Probably with both of you feeling terrible and miserable and there'd be no reconciliation between the two of you. See, go to your brother and tell him his fault first between you and him. 
Jesus describes this process that to have reconciliation, to resolve conflict, to bring healing to broken relationships, to love our neighbor, if they have done something that has wronged us, let's start by saying, did we do anything wrong in the process? Maybe the wrong that I did came after the wrong that you did. You called me a name, so I called you a name back. Maybe I should start by saying, I'm sorry for what I have done. Will you forgive me? And then if they don't have anything they're sorry for, maybe we can say to them, I felt wronged when you did this. I felt attacked when you said this. I would like to bring healing to this relationship. How can we do that? Go and tell them the thing out of an attitude of love. Not out of an attitude of wanting to spite them or stick it to them. When we go one to one with the person directly and say, I want to make this right, we open up a door for healing. Sometimes people have wronged us and they feel guilty about it, but they're too embarrassed to actually apologize. And when we're just honest and say, I felt really hurt when you did this, we give them the opportunity to make it right. And sometimes people wrong us and have no idea that they did that. And when we go to them and say, I felt attacked, accused, beat down, whatever it is you felt, we give them the opportunity to recognize maybe they did sin. Go one to one, you and them. Now this is also really important because I think in our culture, we almost never seek reconciliation privately. We almost never go to the person who's hurt us one-to-one. No, usually in our culture, this is how it works. You do something against me, so I'm going to go tell all of my friends how terrible you are. And maybe I'll have all of those conversations privately. Maybe I'll blast it on social media, but I'm going to get a whole gang of people on my side who believe that I'm right and you're wrong. And suddenly that little conflict has escalated into a really big thing. Go first to them. If we want to love our neighbor, we need to be the people who seek reconciliation. Who seek out when we have wronged others, but also when we've been wronged, we go directly to that person and say, please, can we work on this? Can we talk about this? Can we find healing? Then it continues, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Again, he's not saying take two or three people who take your back and have your side. See, most often when we've been wronged, when conflict comes up, when there's some kind of division between us and somebody else, most often it's hard for us to see things clearly. We see through the lens of I've been hurt and you tried to hurt me. And if they know that there's division between us, they see through the lens oftentimes of you've hurt me. And we're both seeing through a lens that says I'm hurting right now. And hurting people always seek to be defensive. And hurting people always seek to find healing for themselves. And rarely for others. And so to be reconciled to our neighbor If they don't listen one-on-one, take two or three. And I want to encourage you, don't take two or three who have your back. Take two or three who are willing to say to you, I think you're wrong. Like if we can be humble enough 
to surround ourselves with people who are not invested in the situation, but they're invested in us, and they want to see us grow, they want to see healing for us, they're going to be willing to call us out when we fail. And they're going to be willing to sit through that meeting to act as a mediator, one who can say, let's look at this a little more carefully, with a little less bias and a little more love. Perhaps we both have done something wrong here. What might that be? See, when you go with two or three who have your back, immediately the conversation stops because the walls of defense come up. You ever been in a fight, you against three or four people? You know pretty quickly, I'm not going to win easily, and so you have to dig in your heels and fight like you've never fought before. But if it's you and one other person with a couple people there to make sure that everything stays safe and above board and nobody's attacking one another, but instead you're working together towards healing, well, you can tear down those walls and actually begin to find healing. If we as Christians want to love our neighbor, we need to be the ones who are willing to seek help, to seek somebody else to say, I don't know how to repair this relationship. Will you help me try to make it right? I don't know how to fix what is broken. Will you come alongside me not to take my, my side, not to have my back, but to help me restore this? And then there's this third process that's included here. And this third process is this. If he refuses to listen to them, if the person that has wronged you still refuses to do anything towards healing, then what? Tell it to the church. We live in a culture where church literally means whatever you want it to mean. In our culture, the church is really more like the church is. Because in our culture, if you don't like what I have to say or what God's word has to say, you can literally go to any number of churches within like six blocks and have it say what you want them to say. Because we have a culture where the church is fractured and divided. Rather than following what Jesus says, the church says, if I don't like what you say, I'm going to do my own thing. And we've split into all of these congregations, some of which are following all kinds of wrong and weird things, and we fight amongst ourselves, and we act like it's okay. And we attack and we accuse other Christians in the name of Jesus because we say their Christian perspective doesn't fit with my Christian perspective, so they must be wrong. But in this age that this is being written in where Jesus is speaking, the church was one body, one people. And if you read the rest of the New Testament, you'll see the most important thing for the church was a sense of unity. And unity did not mean sameness, but it meant one mind and one heart, one soul, coming together for one purpose, reconciliation. Where people from all walks of life, poor and wealthy, people from all ethnicities, people of all backgrounds, people of all sinfulness can come to one place, one gathering, and know that in that place, whether it happened in someone's house or later on happened in buildings like this, in that place, in this people, in that community, there would be grace and love and forgiveness and healing. And so Jesus says, look, if going in a small group doesn't resolve the problem, bring it to the church. Invite the whole church into the conversation and say, how can we move forward 
together. And then comes this really challenging thing. If they refuse even then, let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. See, Jesus says, if they refuse to listen to you personally, and they refuse to work with a small group of people who are not on your side or their side, but are working for healing, and if they refuse to listen to the voice of the whole church as one body saying, this isn't okay, if they refuse all of that, let them be like those who are outside of the faith, set apart, not a part of what God is doing. You see, the truth is, when we don't live as people who seek reconciliation, there's nothing about us that looks like the church. When we live as if it's all for ourselves, and you've wronged me, and I must be right, and therefore we can't be together, we are not the people of God. When we live like that, we're no different than every other person who doesn't know the hope and the grace Jesus offers. And so we as the church to love our neighbor have to do the really hard and impossible thing. We have to admit that we have wronged one another and do everything we can to make it right, to heal those broken relationships and restore what has been taken. So I want to end with this. Who in your life have you wronged? Maybe it's something small like messing up the toilet paper. And maybe it's something really big that's been driving a wedge for a really long time. Can you take a step towards making it right today? Towards seeking forgiveness and granting forgiveness? What happens immediately after this, Jesus tells a story of a servant who is unforgiving, a servant who refuses to forgive others. And in the story Jesus tells, he says it will be worse for that servant than any other. They will be unforgiven of all of their sins because of their unwillingness to forgive others. If we want to be the church and love our neighbor, we have to be the ones who make it a point, a priority, not just sometimes or occasionally or on Sunday mornings, but every single day to seek forgiveness from those whom we have wronged and to seek to make it right from those who've wronged us. And when we live like this, our neighbors will be loved today, tomorrow, and every day. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, you have called us to seek reconciliation. God, we are guilty. Oftentimes we put our own needs, our own wants, our own hurts ahead of the relationship that you want to restore. Make us humble enough to seek forgiveness where we have wronged. God, make us gracious enough to lovingly and kindly come to someone one-on-one -on -one and seek healing first. May we be a people who find strength and community to go together with the goal of healing and reconciliation. And God, may we be a people that when the world looks at us, they see here not division, not hatred, not unforgiveness, but a love that conquers every hurt and every pain and comes together because you have forgiven us. Help us to forgive others. Thank you, God, for your grace and your forgiveness. May we share it wherever we go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we continue today with our worship, we are going to collect an offering. 
Normally the buckets will pass, but uh, during COVID we're keeping the buckets at a distance. So if you came prepared today with cash and check and would like to give that, uh, you can give that in the popcorn buckets in the back corners as you leave. If you are prepared to give and would like to do that electronically, you can do so at thepointknox.com. However you give or whatever you give, know this, your gift helps us as a people go out of this place and into our community and seek healing for those who are hurting. And even for you, if you are in a place of hurting and need help with reconciling with somebody else, we want to be here for you, to walk with you through that, and to help you find the healing Jesus offers. However you give, whatever you give, you are loved, not because you give, but we give instead because we're loved. Thank you. All right, so this is the part of service where every week we like to take time for questions, and I'll address them to the best of my ability. Um, because we think questions are a healthy part of faith and life together. Um, so Emily, what are the questions for today? So first, right off the bat, um, we did get a couple questions about live stream. I don't think we actually have it going yet anyway. If anyone asks you, we were unable to get live stream. We had a lot of technical difficulties this morning. So yeah. we will have audio up later. Spread the word. Yeah. <laughs> and sorry about that. Yeah. that Internet um, is what it is sometimes. Well, they're not, they're not able to hear us anyway. Cool. So, uh, the, here, here are the other questions. Uh, we got quite a few questions today. Um, how can you reconcile with someone who won't speak to you? So I think reconciliation does not require us to actually be the one who makes it right, but to make the effort to make it right. So if they refuse to talk to you at all, um, can you find an opportunity where maybe you can at least try to start a conversation. Be the one who reaches out, sends a letter, sends a postcard, uh, an email, whatever, and just says, hey, I'd love to talk, can we? If they won't, that's not on you. If they've completely shut you off and said, I refuse to reconcile, you can't force them to change. But you can consistently come back to, I would like to try. So maybe you reach out and they say, no, I'm done, I want nothing to do with you, and you wait six months and you come back again hey, it's almost your birthday. I just thought I'd say happy birthday. Just see what happens. Awesome. Next question is, what is the line to walk in asking for someone's forgiveness in a situation that the person you have sinned against hasn't noticed? Is it always appropriate to ask for forgiveness if they don't even know that they've been wronged? Ooh. Uh, That's a very good question. Sometimes, um, I think... Ooh, yeah. Um, here's what I'll say to that. Depends on whether you asking for forgiveness will strengthen the relationship or tear it down. So for example, if you have done something that was really trivial but it's bothering you, and you know that when you say that trivial thing to the person, they're like, oh, okay, you're forgiven. Then by all means, bring it up and let them know. If it's something that's really serious to you, and they have no idea, will they find out about it somehow else? If they're gonna find out about it from somewhere else, somehow else, it's probably best for you to be the one to say, I need to have a really hard conversation and we need to talk, and to be the one who starts that conversation. And recognize, if somebody doesn't know they've been sent against and it's a pretty significant thing, um, they may need a moment of feeling that hurt and like I need some distance and some space before they're ready to actually talk about forgiving you. That might be the case. So I would say there's no black and white answer. Um, 
If you're unsure and would like help figuring out should I go to somebody with this, I'll gladly sit down and talk with you and try to help. Yeah. Um, this is more of a comment. Um, okay, this all sounds good and perhaps beyond challenging for us and our peers as a starting point. What about starting with God, I repent for I have sinned against you and you alone? Makes it less likely for me to end up perceiving mine as some form of righteous anger. Yeah, righteous anger is such a weird thing. Uh, Usually I find righteous anger is our attempt to justify treating other people like dirt. Um, We say in the name of righteous anger, like, I deserve to be angry about this. It's a good thing. But the truth is every time in scripture where anger is brought up in connection with uh, any kind of judgment on it, it's coupled with sin and warning against sin and warning of the dangers of it. So if you think you're righteously angry, my guess is you're probably not. Uh, And if you think you're righteously angry, my guess is the things you think you should do as a response are not what you should do to respond. So you're absolutely right. All of our reconciliation begins with and ends with coming back to I am a sinner desperately in need of God's grace. And from that place, I want to give it and I want to receive it. These are legitimately such good questions. Um, In reference to last week's sermon and giving giving way to another person's sensitivities, at what point is reciprocation? If we continually conform to not offend their sensibilities, would it be prudent for them to eventually overlook that behavior so long as it wasn't sinful in nature? Would you like to look at this one? That was a lot. Um, Let me, I think this is what I heard. So if we are doing our part to try to become all things to all people, then at what point do we just ignore sin because it's not that big of a deal? Is that what uh, you think? If this was your question, feel free to text in a clarifier. Uh, we don't know who texts them in, so unless you respond, I can't clarify. I'll answer no, it. It says at the end, so long as it wasn't sinful in nature. So if they just do something and it gets on your nerves, like, do you just let it be? Is that it? I'm curious about the first, the other. Hmm. Answer both of those. Okay, if somebody just does something that gets on your nerves, but it's not necessarily sinful, like, get over it, okay? It's fine. Um, If it is something sinful, I don't think it's healthy to overlook sin, but I also don't think that we have relationships with enough people or with everybody to seriously call out their sin. Um, So ask yourself, is this person's sin, also is this person who's sinning in a relationship with me where they have given me authority to speak into their life? If I don't have the authority to say, hey, Emily, that's not really good, all I'm doing in speaking against their sinfulness is driving a wedge. Um, Now, on the flip side, by virtue of being married to my wife, she knows that she has all authority to call me out on all of my crap, and there's a lot of it. And so when I sin, she has all authority to come to me and say, Adam, that wasn't good, whether it's small or whether it's really big. And... Hopefully, I respond to that correctly most often. Is that helpful? I would say if that was your question, um, feel free to text in the clarifier, and we can definitely do a point update later this week. Absolutely. Um, And what we did have one more update on live stream. If you are watching on live stream, we will get the audio up as soon as we possibly can. That's been being recorded, so you can still listen to the sermon from this morning. And we are so sorry that this has not been a dreamy, grace-filled well, no, grace-filled, but like, not like grace-full, whatever. Sorry. 
Love you guys. So the moral of that story is if you want to learn how to help make live stream work each week, we'll gladly take your help and train you with what we know and you can help troubleshoot in those situations as well. Is that it? Is that all the questions? Awesome. Well then as you go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.